Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. The danger for the Christian in persecution is not persecution. It's the danger of losing your testimony of Christ in that persecution. The goal for us should not be to escape persecution. It should be to exude the life of Christ even at that time. Well, Peter wrote the letter of 1 Peter to various Christians who had been dispersed throughout the region in which God had called them to minister. He wrote them in response to a rising tide of persecution that was taking place in the churches, a tide that was beginning in Peter's day but would continue to grow and grow and grow over a period of centuries. He wrote them because this tide was rising up and he knew it was going to continue to rise. And in chapter 1, he speaks of it as a trial by fire. In chapter 4, he actually says and refers to it as a fiery trial, which is to try you. Whatever they're experiencing has yet to reach its zenith. It's yet to reach its fullest or hottest spot. It would still come upon them. It would continue to be a legacy and a part of the church from this point in time all the way until the current time in which we live, that we would experience persecution. Paul said that those who would live godly in this life would experience persecution. The Lord Jesus, over and over again, reminded His disciples that if their master had been rejected and persecuted, that they would be rejected and persecuted as well, who would be His followers. Peter is writing here because he wants to encourage in the church a proper response to their sufferings. He wants that their faith would be expressed in the midst of their trials, in the midst of the persecutions that they go through, in a manner that would give witness to the life of Christ, in a manner that would be expressive of their utter, complete faith in Him. And what is the message that he wants them to hear? What is the overriding point of correction or direction that they are to apply to themselves as they go and face this persecution? Well, I believe it actually is found in what is stated so clearly here at the end of his letter. Peter wants them to enter into this phase, this part of their Christian experience, this persecution clothed with humility. The context of this immediate section of verses is the relationships that the Christians are going to have with one another, the relationship that the leaders of the church are going to have with those they're giving leadership to, the relationship that the young men within the church have with those who are providing leadership to them. That's the context, but that's the immediate context, but that context lies within the whole of this letter. And as Peter addresses this issue of how the Christians are to relate to one another, He still is addressing a broader and larger issue, which is the right attitude that is to be shaped in the lives of believers in Jesus Christ in the midst of profound suffering and persecution. It just so happens that they will not give the right attitude or they will not express that right response before the world if they do not cultivate that right response before one another. The way you live ultimately must be cultivated in your homes before you go out the front door into the world that you live in, before you walk out the door of your house. And the same is true in the household of faith. 
the way that we're to live before men, the manner which we are to present ourselves before the world in which we live in, the proving ground for the gracious spirit that God would have expressed from our lives must be cultivated and developed in our own household of faith among one another. But still, the matter here is a matter of a spirit of, an attitude of humility in the face of persecution, in the face of growing suffering and difficulties and strains and trials. The church was facing this growing persecution, and for some within the church, the temptation in response to this growing persecution would be to distance themselves from their faith. It would be to move away from any faith that they might reason that brings them into this kind of suffering and makes them subject to the egregious crimes of the world around them without any ability to provide any retribution or respond. Maybe this is not one that we should be a part of. They had been conditioned in a religion that taught an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The Lord Jesus came along and said, if somebody strikes you on the cheek, give them your other cheek. If someone steals your cloak, give them your other cloak. This leaves them susceptible. And so the temptation might be that they would abandon their faith and wander away. But Peter, as he's writing to these different believers, isn't concerned that this will take place. He's convinced that God has done something wonderful and profound in their lives. He's convinced, you might say, that what he's dealing with are people who have been made new, not individuals who are trying to refine their flesh. And as such, he speaks to the cultivation of this new life within them. He expects that they are going to face this trial undeterred from their commitment to Jesus Christ. His instructions reflect that kind of confidence. In fact, just for a moment, and keep your Bibles open to 1 Peter. Let's just go to chapter 2 and we'll pluck out different passages. And there's encouragement and there's instruction being given here, but I hope you'll see that at the ground of this encouragement and this instruction is this profound confidence that Peter has that these individuals are rooted or grounded in a faith that cannot be defeated. And in fact, go back to chapter 1 and let's just read, begin in verse 3 and read a few passages here where Peter reflects upon how grounded these believers are in their faith. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that fades not away and is reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations or trials, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now listen, I only comment here. Does Peter sound a little insecure? Is he a little worried about them? Is he afraid that they're going to tip away and fall away from this persecution? No. He knows that God has done something profound and wonderful in their lives, and he even sees the hint and the expression of it growing in their lives. 
in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of these challenges, their faith is being refined and their joy is being wonderfully increased. That's what he noticed. Go over to chapter 2. Look at verses 20 through 21. It's under that sense of confidence that you see this instruction being given to the body of Christ. When you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. Go to chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. (laughs) And do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled, but set apart or sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, Those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Just be good. Just be good in the face of these things. Chapter 4, let's look at verse 16 and then verse 19. In verse 16, Peter writes, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. So Peter is not concerned that they're going to wander away and depart from the faith in the midst of this trial. He has a different concern altogether. He is addressing another temptation that might befall those who suffer for Christ's sake. And that is that while they undergo this persecution, they may be tempted to face their persecutors with a growing defiance, with a growing pride, with a despising and loathing attitude. And this attitude will not do because it does not reflect the Spirit of Christ. Peter actually reminds them in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, that they're to have, in the midst of the reviling they experience and midst of the cursing and the reproaches they experience, the attitude and reflection of the life of Christ who, we're told, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. His real concern here, you see, is that they might go through this persecution in such a way that they would continue to manifest the Spirit of Christ. A disdainful, reproaching, aloof, despising attitude is not Christian. It is not a reflection of the Spirit that God can even bless. When we face the various trials in our lives that men might bring upon us or that demons might bring upon us and we go through that process and we, in the midst of it, somehow we learn how to survive, we overcome it, we even might come through it with some sense of triumph, it is possible through that testing and that phase that a spirit of pride, a spirit of self-exaltation, might arise within us and if that happens the enemy has won a strategic battle because in that process developing some proud or haughty or aloof spirit and by the way it is possible to 
lose a battle and then become somewhat condescending towards those who have defeated you. Someone has said that condescension is the last bastion of losers. They lose, but then they feel better than the individual who beats them. And so you can be beaten down and you can be abused and you can suffer and you can be trounced upon by your society and then develop a disdainful attitude towards that very society and its pride and its arrogance. It's a non-submissive spirit. And when that happens, the enemy has won a strategic battle because he's turned us away from the very attitude that God blesses. He's turned us away from the spirit in which we came to God in the very first place, in which we found God's forgiveness and God's life and God's truth. It's the spirit that honors Christ and the spirit that joins with Christ in His willingness to suffer. And that attitude that God would have pressed out of us in the midst of our sufferings is humility. It's humility. Clothe yourselves in humility. Well, let's consider for just a moment what humility is and why God prizes it. Let's look at that, and then we're going to think about how it is that we develop and cultivate humility in our lives. But first, what is humility, and why does God prize it? Humility is to hold a low estimate of yourself. Yes, that's where the text is taking us. It is to go further away from ourselves and further into Christ as our own life for us. He is our example of humility and our source, the one who would bring that humility into our lives. Lord, keep us humble. Thanks for listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism. If you want to learn more about our work abroad, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about the Missions Fellowship here in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.